Hi, this is the podcast channel of Lighthouse Church in Ottawa, Canada. We are a family. We don't do life alone. We are about the one, each and every one. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Our hope and prayer is always for life change. Here is today's message. Be blessed as you listen. First Samuel chapter 16. This is going to be good. First Samuel chapter 16 from verse 1. Actually, no, I read verse 1. I hop skip to verse number 13. So first Samuel 16, verse 1, I'll do verse 13, New King James Version, and then I go to Second Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 4. Thank you, Jesus. We give you thanks. So I read, the Bible says this, that now the Lord said to Samuel, the Lord said to Samuel, <laughs> how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? How long will you mourn? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have, I have provided myself a king among his sons. Verse number 13, if you can find it, says that then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him him is David in the midst of his brothers and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward so Samuel arose and went to Ramah went back to Ramah skip on to 2nd Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 4 the book of 2nd Samuel chapter 2 verse number 4 it says that then the men of Judah came and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. I'm teaching now. One of the markers of our generation, not even our generation, humanity in general, is that we are impatient. Impatience. Impatience is one of the primary characteristics of people. And men have been impatient from before time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm naturally, I don't want to say I'm naturally impatient because that would be just agreeing with my wife. And But she does say, my wife says I'm very impatient. I've told you guys a story before for those of you who've been in church about how when we were newlyweds, um, just got married and my wife was raving about this restaurant. This is my favorite breakfast restaurant. Let's go have brunch. You know, she's really bougie. Let's go have brunch and all that stuff. And I'm like, sure, sure, sure. We go have brunch, all right? You know, happy wife, happy life, right? And we go to this restaurant. Um, it's probably, I think it's a Sunday if I remember correctly. And we, we get in through the double doors and I see this congregation of people just loitering around the lobby, just sitting down with buzzers in their hands. And I have a feeling that this is about to go bad very quickly because it means that the people were waiting to get seated. And so we went to, you know, met the lady. She was like, oh, hi. I'm like, yeah, you know what? We're newlyweds and we're so in love. And, you know, we just want to do what newlyweds do. We want to have a nice brunch. Can you organize a chair, sit for us. And she was like, oh yeah, that's gonna be no problem at all. Uh, and she gives us a buzzer. And so we start to make our way to join this congregation of people who are sitting down and waiting. And then I realized, no, 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 no. Something is not right here. I have a question, excuse me, ma'am. Um, how long is the wait gonna be? And she says, 45 minutes, casually. Now, at this point, I am two steps away from just saying, four, I'm like 40, no, like, nope, this is not happening. You know, we're newlyweds, okay? Just so imagine this. And so my wife is starting to think, yeah, I married a madman. Um, what's the big deal in waiting 45 minutes to be seated, to order? Like, no, this would never happen to me in Jesus' name. I'm under attack. 
the devil is a liar. This is not happening. You know, and my wife, of course, she goes, well, you know, Ayodeji, you need to be more patient. She got my whole government name, my passport name. I'm like, it's not love or baby anymore. She, she attacked my impatience. You need to be more patient. You need to be more patient. But naturally, I don't, I don't like to wait. I, I, I just don't. <laughs> so, tell you another story. I remember, like, in our household, um, one of the things that happens is whenever there's a, I don't know, maybe a, a wrong charge on a card or a transaction that doesn't go through or something like that, I just categorically refuse to spend an hour on the phone calling some customer service person to tell them to pay, to give me back my $20 or my $25 or $40 or whatever. I have to weigh the cost because I look at how much time am I going to spend on this phone call relative to the benefit of it, all right? And so a couple of weeks ago, no, actually about a couple of months ago, my wife ordered some food and skipped the dishes and the food never showed up and they took the money. And so for the past two months, she's been hunting down, skip the dishes to get her $58 and I don't know how many number of cents back. And every time I hear her on the phone say, yes, I haven't gotten my refund back and um, blah, blah, blah. Something in my belly just turns. I'm just like, you spent two and a half to three hours chasing down, skip the dishes for $58. I just refuse to do that, all right? Well, we are all different, by the way. Um, but I said that to say this, that we are, we are, we are impatient. And so mine might be an extreme case, and it's not particularly a good thing, and I'll tell you why in a second. But we are impatient. We Human beings, we're not, we're not born and we're not, we're not built to be patient. If we were, then patience would not be a fruit of the Spirit. Think about it. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 from verse 20 to 22. You find the fruits of the Spirit there. If patience came naturally to us as human beings, then it would not be a fruit of the Spirit. We are not just built to be patient, all right? And you have to understand that the gifts of the Spirit are coveted. You covet the gift. The Bible says, earnestly covet the best gifts, but fruits are cultivated. All right, it takes time to build the fruits of the spirit. So we are we are impatient. That's one of the markers of my kind. So what is patience? Patience is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay. Okay, <laughs> the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble or suffering, huh, without getting angry or upset. So it's the capacity to tolerate delay suffering or trouble without getting angry or upset. So patience is not just about waiting. It's about how you wait. It's not enough to wait. It's about how you wait. So for example, you can be at the bus stop and you're waiting on the bus and the bus is slightly late and you sit down there maybe with a novel in your hands and you're just reading something and you're just patiently waiting. That's patience. But then you might, you can also be waiting for the bus and you're pacing up and down and you're swearing and you're saying, I can't believe this guy is so late, blah, 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 blah. You're, you're raving. Um, that is not patience. That is waiting. So patience is not just about waiting. It is about how you wait. So let me talk to you about this guy called David today. All right. David at the age of 16, has had a pretty rough rough life. That's my conclusion. Because when you read the subtext in the book of 1 Samuel, you understand that David wasn't particularly liked at home. Not by his dad, not by his brothers. All right. David was looked over in his household. He was looking after sheep. So much so that the most important personality, just track with me, because I'm trying to lay a foundation that helps us understand something. The most important personality in the nation of Israel in his day comes to pay his family a visit. Just think about this. And you're not even invited, all right, to the reception. 
he's there. He can see everything. He can see them eating. He can see them having sushi, all right, and having Starbucks. He can see them right there, and he's not invited. And they can see him, and he's not invited. Can you imagine that? That the most important person, you know, to you in your whole life, the, 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 the most, I don't know who that person is, but just think about the most popular person in the world. And that person came to visit your, your family house and your parents did not even bother. They brought all your brothers to the table. They invited every one of them, but you were left out. That's the kind of life that he had. I, I picture him as a guy who was more of a loner, who was, of course, looked over, who was despised at home. Um, this is a guy who killed a lion and a bear while guarding the sheep of his dad. All right. Now, I don't know how much your father has to hate you for you to kill a lion and he sends you back to the to, to go guard sheep again, to watch the sheep and you have to kill a bear. I just have to tell my dad that I saw a bit of a dark shadow across the field and my dad says, come inside. You don't even need to be out there. Forget those sheep. They're not that important to me. I feel like he wasn't valued. All right. That was the kind of guy he was. And he's 16. I mean, when you're, 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 you're just full of life and enthusiasm and full of hope at the age of 16, I can, I can remember how I was at the age of 16, oh, adventurous for days. You know what I mean? And, and, and this guy had such a life. And all of a sudden in one day, one day, someone comes to the to their house and someone calls for David. Remember the story for Samuel 16 from verse, verse number one, anointed king. He tries to anoint the elder one and God says, no, I haven't picked this one and rejects all seven sons. And he calls for David. And the Bible says right there in the presence of his father and his family and his brothers and some other people, Samuel anoints David and says, you are going to be king over Israel. You are going to be king over Israel. You, this downtrodden, this forgotten boy, this rejected one, you are the hope of Israel and Samuel had a reputation of which I've spoken to you about before that everything Samuel said came to pass. He was a man of God for real. He was a man of God. All right. So David, in one day, his life changes. He's 16 and David has to wait for 14 years before he ever ascends the throne. So today I want to talk to us about what I call waiting pains, waiting pains, <laughs> waiting pains. Can you imagine, can you imagine uh, you, you know, a poor, I, I use analogies about poor people and money a lot of times because a lot of us, I know you guys like money. Um, most of us do. Anyways, can you imagine someone who's poor, um, homeless, poor homeless, and you know, a rich man comes to you and gives you a bank draft and says, this is a million dollars. You've been poor. You've been homeless for like 10 years. You've lived on the streets for 10 years. You've known nothing but abject poverty and gives you a draft, bank draft. So certified funds for a million dollars, but says to you, you don't know when you're going to be able to cash that check. So you have it in your hands, but you go nights, day, weeks, months, years, and you're not able to cash the check. The opportunity or the right time has not presented itself for you to cash a check. Imagine the torture. Imagine the torture. It's the same story of how God takes a man who's barren and he's old. He's gone through the mental process of dealing with the barrenness. He had come to accept it. Him and his wife, Abraham, Abraham at the time. And the Bible says to him, God says to him, you shall have a son. And you know, and, and he has to wait. He has to wait. It doesn't come to him immediately. Waiting pains. Waiting pains. So, for most of us, maybe when you were growing up, some prophet came to your house 
and prophesied about you, told your parents, oh, this one is a special child. Oh, this one is going to be great. She's going to be a celebrity. But right now, you are the opposite of a celebrity. You are practically a non-entity. All right. Um, someone prophesied about you or you had a dream. You saw yourself. You're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company. But right now, you don't even have $500 in your bank account. Yeah. yeah you're in process. You're in waiting. You're in waiting. You had dreams of greatness. But the only thing that's great about your life right now is the confusion that you're, you're, you're facing. You don't even know what to do with your life. Waiting. Talk about a man called Joseph in the Bible. God gives him a vision, a picture of his future, his glorious future. And he goes into a season of waiting. We're talking about waiting pains. That's the topic of our conversation today, waiting pains. But I want you to know something that you and I, all of us, every follower of Jesus is called into the ministry of waiting. Every promise of God will require you to wait for it. Stay with me. We are a generation and a people who our nature is opposed to the nature of God because the nature of God is that whatever God does takes some time. He would require you to wait for it. And the Bible says in Hebrews 6 and verse 12 that we, you and I, you and I, should imitate those people who through faith and patience, patience and faith, have inherited promises. So you only inherit the promises of God by faith and with patience. If you did not have to wait, the Bible wouldn't encourage you and I to have patience. We should be imitators of those whom through faith and patience inherited the promise. So think about David. 16, he's anointed. But for 14 years, he has to wait to see the manifestation of the promise. And guess what? I, I can imagine that from the day that Samuel spoke to him at home, he was eager. I can't wait to leave this house. I'm sick of this house. I'm going to be king. All right. I'm going to be king. I'm sure I've been telling all his brothers, yeah, you guys treated me badly. Now you watch me go and be king. And one year passes and two year passes and passes. And his brothers come to him and say, oh, oh, king, your royal highness. You know, they're mocking him. And he goes 14 years before he ever ascends the throne. I want to read to you a scripture in Habakkuk chapter two. I can quote it in the New King James Version, but it doesn't quite do it justice the way I want to communicate it. So I'll read it to you in NLT. Habakkuk chapter 2, the book of Habakkuk chapter 2 from verse 1. The Bible says this, that the, the, the man of God is talking. He says, I will climb up to my watchtower and I will stand at my guard post. Why? There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. Then the Lord said to me, God said to him, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Stay with it. Stay with it. He says, for this vision, the vision I, God, am giving to you, like every vision that God gives you, is for a future time. It describes the end. And it will be fulfilled if it seems slow in coming. If for any reason it appears that there is a delay in a manifestation of the promise that God has given to you, of the future that God has shown you, God says to him, wait patiently for it will surely take place. It shall not be delayed. Can you just tell someone, wait patiently. That's what God says to him, that if it appears to be slow, if it seems like it's taking forever, if it's taking a bit of time, he says, wait patiently for it. 
wait patiently for it. And so it's enough. I'm trying to paint a picture. I'm trying to build on that case. It's enough that David has to wait. So let's assume Samuel came to his house, anointed him king, and David just walked back and went into the field and continued with his sheep and waited for 14 years until the day of his manifestation as king. That would have been painful, but better than the reality of what happened to David because what happened to him, I call it, I think it was traumatic actually. What happened was that he was now brought to the palace. He was invited to the palace to come and serve Saul. So you know you've been anointed king, and right there you are serving in that same palace that you know you ought to be sitting on the throne. Imagine the torture, the mental torture. He's brought to serve a man that he knows that he's meant to replace, and he's casting devils out of him by serving this man. All right? And that same person tries to kill him. Imagine the betrayal that he feels. And he goes to battle and wins the battle for the nation. And he's saying in his heart, surely now they would make me king. But guess what? He still has to wait about 13 and a half years before he becomes king. The people turn their back. The disappointment he must have felt. He goes at some point when he's running away from Saul, he's a fugitive. He goes to a particular land called Kilia or something like that. And the Bible says that these these people are under attack. And David goes and he saves them from their enemies. And this same city turns him over or attempts to turn him over to Saul. Betrayal. He goes through a very rough 14 years. And then to make matters worse, certain people come and band themselves together with him. And the Bible describes these men that start coming to David in the wilderness as people who were indebted, they were discontented, and they were distressed. These were the worst set of people that could possibly have been joining themselves with him at that time. So he was grumbling. I could just imagine how he felt. If it was me, I'd be complaining. I'm like, God, why did you lie to me? Why did, you, why did you bother sending Samuel to come find me if you knew that you weren't faithful to keep your promises? Because everything in my life seems to be pointing to the opposite of what you said. And that's the reality that most of us will find ourselves as you walk with God, that the promises that God has given you, that the things that God has put in your heart, that those pictures, those snapshots of the future that God has shown to you, there is no connection between those, you know, those pictures and where you're, what you're experiencing right in this moment and you might feel a bit like David felt. He got to a point where he interacted with a guy called a priest, the priest Ahimelech. And, you know, the Bible says that Saul murders the entire household of the priest because of David. Imagine the guilt he felt in that season, that these guys are all dead and their families because of me, because of me. And then worst case, worst thing happens, Samuel dies while he's waiting. You know, he must have felt exposed and naked because Samuel was the one person that was keeping him safe from Saul because Samuel, at least you know that Saul feared Samuel. Samuel dies while he's waiting. He hasn't become king yet. So the man who anoints you actually dies and you are now starting to wonder and question everything that God has ever told you. Waiting pains. I think the epitome of this, where it gets really bad really, is when David has to go to the Philistines and beg to stay with them. You have to understand what this means, that David was a guy that the Philistines were petrified of. He killed the giants of Philistines. They championed Goliath. So he had a reputation and he has to go to those people who used to hold him in such high regard and seek accommodation for safety. He goes to Achish, okay, and he binds himself with the Philistine king just so that he can survive, just so that he doesn't die for the sake of his safety. All the while, waiting for the promise of God, 
while he's waiting, his house, his family house comes, Ziklag gets raided by the enemy. And we talked about this two weeks ago when we talked about God will restore, raided by the enemy while he's waiting. And he goes through this, all these emotions, all right, guilt, depression, all right, betrayal, shame, having to go back to the Philistines. He feels exposed. He feels vulnerable, insecure, insecurity while he is waiting. But the thing about the waiting period is that God uses that period to train you. God uses that period to prepare you for what he's doing in your life and where he's taking you. God does not serve rare steaks. God makes sure that you are well done, that you are prepared for where he's taking you. And he uses that season of waiting to prepare you for where he's taking you. So when you look at the life of David and everything he went through, when they brought him to the palace, while it was mental torture for him, for him, God was using that to teach him the ways of the palace. While he was serving Saul and in his mind, he might have been grumbling that I'm supposed to be king. God is trying to show him and model for him what a king should not be like. He's learning. There is process that God is taking him to. And God would never circumvent process for any reason because there is a lot that's hanging on your readiness for the assignment that God has for you. He wins the battle against Goliath and the people disappoint him. And guess what? He gains a name. He gains a, a name among the people. God is doing something in that season that David might not have understood at the time, but was adding value to him. While the people of Kelia have betrayed him, and these band of disgruntled men came and banded themselves to him loyally. God was trying to show him that you should never put your faith in men, but at the same time, you will need loyal men to be a leader. God is teaching him about leadership. And as these people come to him, the Bible says they come to him one by one, day after day. As they come to him one by one, God is teaching him how to lead, building from scratch. Don't forget, Saul never had any experience. He was anointed king and he became king. He did not go through process and that was why he failed. So you need to embrace the process that God is putting you through right now. You need to be grateful that God didn't just thrust you into that fantastic picture or image that you've had. He didn't, and he did it to protect you because you need process. When you don't go through process, you will utterly fail. Just think about Adam. Adam didn't go through process. He was born a man, created a man, everything. God did all the thinking for him, all right? He needed something. He didn't even have to ask. God made everything available for him, and he utterly failed. God needs to take us through process, through process. When Samuel dies... And David feels alone and feels exposed. God uses that season to teach him how to seek him for himself. And that's why David was one king who could go and find God for himself without a prophet or without a priest. He was good. God used everything in that season to teach him something. When he went and bound himself to the Philistines, God taught him the way of the enemy. Because the, the Philistines were the enemies of Israel for, for a long time. And so when David became king, ultimately, he beat the crap out of them because he knew their ways. God uses your waiting seasons, all right, to build you up. Oh, guess what? When they came and took away his family and, you know, at Ziklag and, and burned down the whole city with fire, he learned a crucial lesson that God is a restorer. Come on now. And so when he would lose his throne temporarily, when rebellion raged up, you know, rose up from within his household, he understood that God is a restorer, that the same God who restored me back then will restore me back. And he was one king who left the throne and came back and sat upon the same throne because he had a revelation of God as a restorer. God uses 
the time of waiting to build you up. It's process. It's process. And God, God, that's God's method. And this is problematic for us because whenever we pray to God for something, oh God, I want you to do this in my life, God starts a process. He doesn't give you immediately sometimes. If you're not ready, he will not give it to you. It's just common sense. Think about it. If you're a father and you have a child, you are not going to give the child everything they ask for until you know that they are ready for it. Just like the inheritance of a child, what your parents do their entire life, they build up if they're able to amass any kind of possessions or wealth at all, they don't give it to you. They spend their life making sure that you get trained, that you learn values, that you learn the principles of money, that you learn generosity, that you have the right value system. They send you to university, you get an education, then you can inherit the promise. That's exactly what God does with us. So when you find yourself waiting, instead of you to get frustrated, you need to get thankful and thank God for the process that he's taking you to taking you through so that you can come out on the other side. All right, think about it this way. If a woman is pregnant, there is a process before that baby comes out. The baby comes out after nine months. If you try to circumvent the process, if you try to bring the baby out in three weeks, in four weeks, you will do damage, all right? If you try to manifest, to show up on the scene earlier than when God had planned for you because you haven't gone through process, you will end up prolonging the process. Think about Abraham. Don't forget about Abraham. Abraham, God gave him a promise and he waited a few years and he got tired of waiting. His wife said, look, this doesn't make any sense. Let's help God. And then they brought Ishmael and had Ishmael brought him into the picture. And God says, no, that was never my plan. No, I have a plan. I'm working out my plan. You wait for it. Like it says in Habakkuk chapter two, verse two and three, it says, wait patiently, wait patiently. My challenge to you is this, don't despise the process. It secures your place in destiny. Right now, you are in process. Do not despise. You're looking for a platform. You're looking for all those prophecies, the promises that God gave you to become a reality. Think about David. Guess what? God is way more committed to the things that he has shown you than you ever would be. You cannot convince me that David was more committed to becoming king than God was to making him king. No, it was God's idea to begin with. Whatever God showed you, he showed you. It was him who showed it to you. So he is committed to it. But you need to go through the process. And during that season of waiting, God trains you. God builds you up. God strengthens you. God gets you ready so that when you show up on the scene, you can show up with strength. You can show up with might. You can show up to succeed and excel in whatever it is that God has called you to do. So when you think about life of David, I see four different buckets. I see the season before the calling. So from when he was born to the day that Samuel showed up in his house, that's one season. Call that elementary school. All right. And he was going through a process there because he was a shepherd boy. He learned a few things and all that. There is a second season from the day Samuel shows up in his house to the day that he becomes, you know, the king. He becomes the king of Judah, not of Israel. All right. That's a second season. He's waiting. He's waiting waiting, waiting, call that high school, all right? And then there's a third season between when he becomes the king of Judah and when he becomes the king of Israel, all right? He gets a partial fulfillment of the promise, but not the fullness of it. So he enters a season, but not the fullness of everything. You call that what? Call that university. And then there is a fourth season of his life when he enters into the fullness of the promise of God. And there is still a process that you must go through so that you succeed at the end of the day. You call that grad school. So there are four different buckets. He was oblivious of the calling, the season when he knew about the calling, the season when he entered into the calling 
partially all right and when he entered into the fullness of it and you have to identify where you are right now if you're not sure what the plan of god is for your future you are in the first stage you're in elementary school there is a process going on there god has a plan for you at some point you would come into an awareness you will come into the knowledge of the plan of god for your life and then you step into high school okay high school treacherous times all right i don't know about you but high school was uh, high school can be very good and very bad for most people lots of good memories lots of bad memories lots of foolish decisions made lots of good decisions made as well all right high school you're learning you're learning you're aware because for, for me when i put this in mind you know think about myself i knew i was called to ministry as far back as 2008 2008 i knew i was called to ministry i knew i had to call them god upon my life but then i went through a season where i wasn't sure what it was all right i call that high school i was just trusting god you know just being faithful just serving, just praying, just trusting God. Just be, I knew, I knew like I knew my name, that there was a calling of God upon my life. There was no doubt in my heart about it, but I did not know when I was going to step into the fullness of that calling. All right. And now I step into one phase of it. And this is just elementary. I, I think I'm just scratching the surface, but there is still a process before you get ready to enter into the fullness of all that God has for you, whatever that might be. And so you need grace for the waiting period you need grace to really wait the right way because guess what you can squander you can waste that season of your life and some people wait and never get into the promise because they waited wrong like i said it's not about how it's not about waiting it's about how you wait so i really believe firmly that the first anointing that samuel anointed david in first samuel chapter 16 that anointing was what sustained him through the period of waiting through the wilderness days, through the days when he was running away from Saul, when he was running to the Philistines for help, when he was being betrayed by people, when he was depressed, when Samuel died. It was that anointing, that first anointing. And that's one of the reasons why God, listen, that's one of the reasons why God would tell you or give you a picture of that future. Because God could have just kept quiet and trained you all the while. And when you're ready, he thrusts you into purpose. But that becomes a problem because if you have no picture that you're looking forward to, because the Bible says about Jesus that the joy that was set before him, that's why he was able to endure the cross. So God gives you a glimpse of it so that there is a picture before you that strengthens you to endure the period of waiting. And that's why Samuel came to David. <laughs> Pay attention to the way God spoke to Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 1. He says, why are you weeping over Saul? Why are you wasting my time? Go now to the house of Jesse the Bethlehem. I, I have found a king for myself. The way I read that, it's like God is saying, I have a king today. He's ready now. I want you to anoint him today. Just for Samuel to go and anoint David. I'm sure someone in his mind is also thinking, God, why did you send me to anoint this dude? And then it takes 14 years before he walks in his purpose, before he steps into it. It's because God needs to give you a picture that encourages you, that keeps you going. And that anointing, that first anointing, keeps you through, through the process. There are pains of waiting. God does not breach process. He's interested in a finished product that can stand the test of time. And he will do whatever it takes to get you ready, if you're willing, if you're willing, if you're willing. So the way of God is long and it's thorough. Listen, I know, I know there is, there is, we have a tendency, you know, as Christians in this generation to say the God that gives me supernatural speed and 
the God that increases my horsepower and gives me, uh, you know, a Lamborghini, Lamborghini engine. I would fly to my destiny and all this ridiculous stuff. Read your Bible. I'm not a prophet of doom. I'm here to teach you the balanced gospel of Jesus Christ. Read your Bible. The way of God is usually long and thorough, but it guarantees success. It's long and it's thorough. That's, <laughs> that's why patience is a fruit of the Spirit. That's why. That's why the Bible tells us that we should imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's because God's way is not as fast to you anyways, to you as you think it is. I mean, David would have, David couldn't get to the palace fast enough. He wanted to be there the next day. But God says, no, wait, wait, wait. And the thing is this, when you're in process, pay attention. You will get tempted to try to short circuit the process, to circumvent that process. All right. You try to take a shortcut at some point. And that's what happened with Abraham. And he brought about Ishmael, causing more troubles for himself. And not only for himself, but also for Isaac. And when David was presented with a shortcut, I'm so pleased that he did not fall into that trap because the Bible says that two times he had the opportunity to kill Saul. So he could have said, oh, I'm going to be king, dead. I'm going to the palace. But that would have been a shortcut. God had a plan all the while. It wasn't David's job to kill Saul. God was going to get him to the palace. And for some of us, and I think that's specifically for some of us that listen to me right now, you're trying to create you're trying to make this thing happen for yourself. You're trying to create your platform. You're trying to make it happen. I'm not saying you should be complacent, okay? But I'm saying to you, be patient. It's God's job. God has a plan. He would work it out. Listen, you know, when you preach the Bible, when you teach the Bible, someone, if you're in a position like mine, privileged to preach, you know, teach the Bible as, 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 um, on a full-time basis. It's not everything that you preach from the Bible that you've experienced firsthand, all right? You're called to teach the totality of Scripture and the doctrine of the Bible, okay? So you cannot only teach the things you've experienced because otherwise your doctrine will be imbalanced. Does that make sense? So I teach something sometimes that I know to be true and I'm also working in. And sometimes I preach a word that is for me, myself, all right? So I'm, st I'm, I'm listening to the word just as you're listening to the word and God is working on me in those areas as he's working on me in those areas. This particular one, I can tell you, this is not one of those ones. This is one that I can tell you I have lived experientially. This one I know. This one I have handled. I can tell you that God has a plan. Not only does he have a plan, he is more committed to that picture that you're chasing than you are. So when you start trying to, you know, will things to happen for yourself and you start trying to struggle, you, you make yourself empty of grace. But once you rely on God, and say, God, I trust your process. Whatever you're trying to teach me in this season, teach me. Whatever you're trying to build in me, build in me. I yield to the job you're doing in my life. God takes the reins and God is responsible for getting you there. Every time it works, I know it because I have lived this one. It works. When you try to make it happen for yourself, God is saying to you, just relax. Just calm down. I have a plan. It was me who gave you this vision. I gave you the idea. I gave you this picture. I'm committed to it. You're not going to shut, you know, you're not going to shortcut your way to the promised land. There is no shortcut to the promised land. That's what you need to understand. So what do you do? What do you do? What do you do when you're waiting? When you're going through that season between 16 
and 30. He got, became king at the age of 30. From the age of 16, 14 years he was waiting. What are the things that you should do? The first thing you should do is you trust God. Trust God. Trust that God is committed. All right? Trust him because there will be discouragement and because there will be temptation. So you have to trust God. You have to trust the process. For some of you right now, the problem you have is you are having a hard time trusting God because you think it's taking too long. It's taking forever. It's not. God has a plan. You have to trust him. The moment you let go and let God, you will see his hand move. You will. But once you're struggling, once you're trying to figure it out, once you're trying to fake it to make it, God hands off that situation. takes hands off that situation. You have to trust God. What you do when you're waiting, you trust him. You trust him. Even when you don't see him, he's working. Even when you can't feel him, he's working. Because he never stops, come on, and he never stops working. You may not see it. You may not perceive it. But he is working like he was for, for David. He was working. You need to trust. Thank God that David trusted God and says, I'm not going to kill Saul. I'm not going to kill Saul. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait patiently. I'm going to wait the right way. I'm going to wait the right way. Trust God. That's the first thing you do while you're waiting. The second thing you do when you're waiting is you grow stronger. That's a season for you to grow stronger because the enemy will attack. That wilderness season is a season laden with attacks of the enemy. So you need to grow stronger. That's a season of growth. A season of growth. The attacks, you, you know, the, the strength you develop in that season is what will sustain you when you get into the fullness of purpose and of the calling of God for your life. Grow stronger because the enemy will attack. The first thing you do, you trust God. You trust God because there will be discouragement. You grow stronger because the enemy will attack. The third thing you must do is you must stay focused. Stay focused because there will be distractions. There will be distractions. There will be distractions. Things will try to sidetrack you and take your attention off the, the vision. But the Bible says that Jesus focused on the vision. He set his eyes on the vision that was before him. And that's why he was able to endure the cross. You, okay, let me explain this to you. When, you. when you wait for something a long time, you start to lose interest. The Bible says that hope deferred makes the heart sick. When you wait for something a long time, you start to lose interest. So I'm not saying to you to lose interest, but I'm also saying to you, don't take the reins. It's that balance. It's that delicate balance where you're focused, but at the same time, you're not trying to manipulate things. You're not trying to take control of things. You're not trying to make things happen for yourself. You're trusting God to make things happen. What else should you do when you're waiting? You have to be faithful because that's the season of testing. God is testing your heart. God is trying to see, will you still serve me when, when there's a delay? Will you? Will you respond to me when it looks like things are not working out for you? Will you? Will you stay faithful in little things so that you can become Lord over much? It's that season that God puts little things in your hands and you're looking and saying, God, but this is not the vision you showed me. You showed me something much bigger. You said, I'm going to be great. I'm going to be a CEO. Here I am, you know, managing this small team of riffraffs. And God says, I want to see your faithfulness in little things so that I can take it to the next level. Listen, for many of us, and I'm saying this with love, with love, with love as your pastor. And this is my diagnosis, all right? So I'm spe speaking specifically now to ma many, many of us. The feeling I get is that many of us will never get to see the next season. Not that 
you wouldn't see it physically, but you wouldn't walk in the fullness of what God has for you because of a lack of faithfulness in this season. Understand that with God, it's line upon line, it's precept upon precept. God looks for faithfulness in one season and then qualifies you for the next season of your life. But some of us are so busy, we are already in the next season when we have undone things in this. And God is saying, whatever your hands find to do now, do it with all your might, period. Whatever your hands <laughs> find to do right now, do it with all your, your, with all your heart. With all your heart. It's that that qualifies you for the next season. I was talking to our interns um, a couple weeks ago, and I was telling them the story of how my ministry life unfolded and some of the tests that God put me through. And God was just looking. Now I know. I didn't know that. At that point, I was just like, oh, God, you've forgotten me in the jungle. But God was just looking to see my faithfulness in little things. He would make a demand of me. And I would, I would, I would struggle, but I would follow through. And right at the end of that, I would see God say, you have been faithful. So become Lord over much. And that is how you grow in this kingdom. Listen, when you walk with God, you have to understand the ways and the principles of his kingdom. Of his kingdom this is how you rise in the kingdom of god it's by being faithful where you are so when you're waiting be faithful there is never a season of your life no matter what you're going through listen to me there will never be a season of your life no matter how bad things look that god is still not expecting faithfulness from you be faithful because god will test your heart then lastly be encouraged why because god is committed I promise you he is. he is. The Bible says he watches over his word. God is jealous about the words he has spoken. God is faithful to deliver the things that he has promised. So he is committed. He can, you can never be more committed than he is. So be encouraged. And God would always show you that he's committed. And God will give David victories even in the wilderness. And God will show that I am with you. And God will encourage him by sending some people to him. And God will encourage him by giving him restoration. God is trying to show you that even though you're going through process, I'm still with you. I am still with you. So trust God. Grow stronger. Stay focused. Be faithful. Be encouraged. And when you look at the life of Jesus, because Jesus is always our message, Jesus went through a process. The problem with Adam, who was the first Adam, Bob calls him the first Adam, was because he never went through a process. Whereas the second Adam, who was Jesus, went through a process. He was born. He grew up. He had to learn discipline. He had to learn the Bible like everybody else. He had to go to the temple. He learned. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter number, this would be Hebrews 3 and verse 5, I believe, that he suffered. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He learned obedience by the things that so he went through process he had to go through the cross he tried and says look is there another way and god says no there's only one way if you're going to get to the crown it's to the cross he went through process and the shortcut was presented to him as well so that you need to be worried about is that a shortcut will be presented to you the shortcut came to him and the enemy came devil, the devil came at the temptation the third temptation and says look all these kingdoms of the world which was exactly what jesus was going to actually eventually have as king of kings and lord of lords all these kingdoms of the world i would give to you if you would bow down and worship me so forget about the process your you know your father's process is too long you're just going to come here and suffer for no reason just let's let's strike a deal right now 
And the Bible says, God said, away with you, Satan. <laughs> you know, Jesus, rather. He said, away with thee, Satan. And whenever the enemy comes to you and whispers a shortcut in your ear, tell him, away with you, Satan. God is with you. God is with you. He is with you. The process is necessary for the fulfillment of destiny. Waiting pains. And so David tells us this. In Psalms chapter 27, I want to read to you two Psalms. Psalms chapter 27 and verse number 14. David tells us this. This is the mindset he had, obviously. He says, wait patiently for the Lord. He had credibility to say this because he had lived it. And I believe him. I believe him. He had proof because he became king and he succeeded as king. He says, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. He looked back upon his life and said, yeah, I'm glad I waited. I'm glad I waited. Psalms 40 and verse 1, New Living Translation, David said this, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and he heard my cry. I waited patiently for the Lord to help me. So God has shown you a picture that you're going to get married to a nice handsome bloke. Wait patiently for the Lord. This is a season of process. He's building you. Grow stronger. Stay focused. Be faithful. Okay? Be encouraged. God has shown you a future. You're going to become great. You're going to speak to nations. Wait patiently for the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. God has given you ideas, you know, about what your future looks like and it's bright. Wait patiently for the Lord. The waiting season is where you're made. God does not serve rare steak. He serves up vessels that are ready, that are fit, that are cooked, all right, and fit for his use. I want to encourage you, whoever you are today. One of the reasons why you can go through a process and be sure, and I mean certain, that you would come out on the other end of it and that you would get into your promise is because the Bible says, Jesus says, I will never leave you. I am with you always, even to the end of time. For those who are sons of God, he is committed to your cause. He is. I, I, I promise you he is. I believe he is. The Bible says that all things work together for good for them that love God and are called according to his purpose. If you're a child of God, he is committed to your cause. And so if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never made a decision for Jesus, I'm not saying make the decision today just because you want God to be committed to your cause, because that's not really how this works. You make the decision because you acknowledge that you have shortcomings, that you could never pay the price for your own sins, that Jesus paid the price for, for your sins. And by believing on him and on his sacrifice, you can become a son of God. And once you become a son of God, it is your right, your right to be led by the Spirit of God. It's your right to have God look after you and care about how your life ends up. It's not your responsibility. He's your father. Your job is to align yourself with what he's doing. So can you bow your heads with me for one minute? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure you subscribe to our podcast channel. If you want to be a blessing to others, share the message. To stay connected, download our app and follow us on Instagram at Lighthouse Church Ottawa. We love you.